And welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, healthcare advocate, lawyer, and your host. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration, Pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. This is your resource for a serious but candid discussion of healthcare politics. And our slogan here is, we dare to be reasonable. What that means is we listen to both sides. We crave the opposite point of view because until we start talking to each other, nothing's going to happen. We're carried by radio stations across the country, and this week we welcome Sarasota's own community radio, WSLR 96.5 FM. So nice shout out to all the good folks in Sarasota. And today, our guest later on in the show is Alan Morgan, Chief Executive Officer of the National Rural Health Association. And we will discuss the special health care challenges of rural America, which is most of America, and uh, particularly today when we're all holding our breath over what's happening in Washington and what appears to be an absolute Katrina-like tidal wave coming to hit uh, most of Americans who depend on the government for health care. But first, let's have some news. Despite the president insisting that he wanted a health care system with heart, what we are seeing is just the opposite. Uh, Here is what Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman concluded. He said, this bill does nothing to reduce health care costs. It does nothing to improve the functioning of health insurance markets. In fact, it will send them into death spirals by reducing subsidies and eliminating the individual er, mandate. There is nothing at all in the bill that will make health care more affordable for those currently having trouble paying for it and it will gradually squeeze Medicaid, eventually destroying any possibility of insurance for millions. Who benefits? It's all about the tax cuts. And there are very few defenders of this plan. However, opponents are making themselves heard. And this past Saturday, I was uh, honored to attend a rally in Pittsburgh uh, where Senator Bernie Sanders spoke. And before he arrived, we talked to some people and listened to their stories, and here is one of those stories. What is your name? Elizabeth Homan. Where are you from? I'm from Dormont, PA. And you were just uh, telling my co-producer here that uh, Obamacare saved your life. How did that happen? Obamacare totally came out of nowhere and saved my life. My husband and I were trying to get insurance through the market. We did not make enough money, and thank God for Obama. I did not know any of this at the time. He um, increased for poor people. I went, I, we got these cards in the mail. I said to my husband, let's see if these work. See if these are real. And he checked, they were real. I set up, I had not been feeling good. I set up a stress test at Mercy Hospital. I went in for a stress test. The doctor said, you're not leaving we're doing emergency quadruple bypass on you in the morning. I had been having heart attacks and not knowing, thinking it was indigestion. So, dear Mr. Obama came out of the heavens and saved my life. Now there's an example of somebody who could have died from a heart attack and nobody would have known that she died from lack of health insurance. 
And if it hadn't been for the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, Elizabeth Homan from Dormont, Pennsylvania, would be dead today. Her life was saved by the Affordable Care Act. So when you listen to people who say otherwise, um, they just need to hear the facts. Well, and shortly after we talked to Elizabeth, uh, this is what happened in that room. So that was Bernie Sanders coming into the room at Pittsburgh this most uh, this past Saturday. It's uh, people like Bernie Sanders, who is the most popular elected official in the United States, speaking out and speaking truth to power and saying that this is a this bill that the Republicans are pushing is a tax cut for the wealthy on the backs of the poor and the most vulnerable of the poor, the sick folks among the poor. So we're going to be talking a lot about this when we come back. We're going to take a short break. So join us on the other side. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Last week, California banned travel to Texas by state employees because of a Texas state law allowing foster care and adoption agencies to disqualify LGBTQ families over sincerely held religious beliefs. Dozens of other states and groups say they're also considering an economic boycott. Dan Quinn with the Texas Freedom Network says the sanctions should come as no surprise to the lawmakers who advocate for religious freedom bills that discriminate. It's not like folks weren't warning that this would happen before legislators gave this special protection to adoption and foster care agencies that discriminate. But now they want to double down on all this in the special session with this ridiculous bathroom bill. He refers to a controversial bill coming up in July to regulate which restrooms transgender people can use. In the regular session, lawmakers passed an anti-sanctuary cities bill that allows police to ask people in custody about their immigration status. Hispanic groups claim it will lead to racial profiling. I'm Mark Richardson. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, and I have to talk fast because we have so much going on, literally as, as we speak. So much for the president's campaign promises. Uh, you remember, fixing health care system will be easy. Everybody will have great coverage. It will cost a fraction of what we are paying now. Premiums will be much lower. Deductibles will be much lower. Medicaid will not be touched. Medicare will not be touched. Drug prices will come way down. It will be a plan with heart. That's what the president said. Now, what we have is something quite a bit different. And what's, what's so amazing is you'll recall that after the House passed its version of uh, repeal and replace, the president hosted a, a kegger in the uh, Rose Garden at the White House, and he just he couldn't have been happier. He said it was a phenomenally great plan, yet just a couple of weeks ago he said, you know, really uh, not so much. He's, as a matter of fact, he said it was mean. And when President Obama commented last week that 
that he thought it was mean also. The pres uh, President Trump said, yeah, I said it first. I said it was mean first. And so, you know, it's just amazing. Look, if you're one of the 75 million Americans who depend on Medicaid, uh, the Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump have essentially declared that you are not worth the air you breathe. Does that sound harsh? Then explain to me what, what they're saying. What, there's, what they mean to say is the Medicaid you count on is pure welfare, and you should be grateful for whatever you get. Hmm. If you're one of the 10 million people who, uh, who do not have employer-provided health care and you try to be responsible and buy your own insurance through the Affordable Care Act exchanges, uh, you need those subsidies from the Affordable Care Act to make that possible. And most people pay somewhere around $100 a month for the insurance through the exchanges. And yes, it could be better. And yes, the prices are going up. But the Republicans have never lifted a finger to make that any better. And now, now that they've sabotaged the Affordable Care Act, they're, they're claiming that it's dead while they stand over the cold body with the smoking gun. If you're a doctor or a hospital, especially in rural America, that has been able to serve tens of millions of people who were previously uninsured, now you have to close your doors or decide whether you can handle patients who can't afford to pay. And even Medicaid was, was not a great reimbursement rate, but at least it was something. Well, you can thank Donald Trump and the Republicans in Congress if they pull the plug on all of that. If you're an older American buying your own insurance, get ready to pay much more, uh, thanks to what the AARP is calling the Trump Care Age Tax. The age tax. It's sort of like the death tax, but it's before you die. It's the age tax. It's the extra you get to pay for health insurance uh, when you're not yet 65, maybe 60 to 65, you get to pay that. So um, many older Americans in that age group voted for Donald Trump. How's that looking right now? You know, you, you can't be blamed. You, you believe them. He, when he's made all those promises about health care, you believed them. And you didn't believe the people who were saying it's not that simple, that it, there, there have to be some taxes to pay for these things. If you have a pre-existing condition, uh, any kind of a, a disability of any sort or a history of cancer, diabetes, chronic intestinal disease, mental illness, at least you, under the Affordable Care Act, you had the peace of mind of knowing that you could not be refused because of that. But now, you know, the Republicans are saying, oh, well, we'll still have that. You'll still be able to, to get insurance if you have uh, pre-existing conditions. What they don't tell you, or at least don't say it very much, is that they're leaving it to the states to decide whether that stays or doesn't stay. And what they're basically doing is they're dumping all the hard choices on states like Ohio and California and Arizona, Indiana. And we already know what's going to happen. We already know. If you've got an opioid addiction, tough. That's, in a word, what this bill is saying to you. Just tough. Um, you know, tough. Uh, if there's something else that they want to say, then they should say it. But instead, anytime you try to pin down one of these folks that's pushing this nonsense, they don't try and defend their own bill. They just start talking about how bad Obamacare is. They don't want to talk about how they fixed anything or made anything better. They just want to talk about the Affordable Care Act and, and lie about uh, it, what's happening and, of course, ignore all of the positive features. So, but some people, hey, look, 
If this all passes and the president signs it, some people will be really happy. Uh, bankruptcy lawyers will have millions of new clients, so there's an upside. Uh, funeral homes will have more business, so that's, that's certainly, uh, you know, that's a job creator. Uh, if you're wealthy, uh, you're going to get a huge tax cut, and of course, you will use it to start new businesses and hire people because the wealthy are the job creators, right? 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 What? You, you thought working people with living wages, buying products, starting families, buying cars, you thought they were the job creators. Well, forget that. According to the president and Republicans in Congress, the problem in this country is that the wealthy do not have enough money. That's the problem. The rich are not rich enough. That's the problem. And if you're an insurance company, it's going to be like the good old days. Hey, happy days are here again. You can, if you're an insurance company, once again, cut people off if they get ill. You can refuse to insure people with pre-existing conditions. You can charge women more just because they're women. You can impose caps so that those who need insurance are the most limited. Uh, you can increase premiums as high as you want. You can increase deductibles as high as you want. You can reduce coverage as much as you want. You can squeeze doctors and hospitals and pay them less and less, refusing to pay even legitimate claims for as long as you want. You can charge employers more who dare to hire older workers and who ha or who have an employee that becomes sick. The, you know, this is how it was before the Affordable Care Act. This is not some fantasy world. For those of you who were paying attention and haven't purged it from your memories because it was so horrific, back before the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, that's what insurance companies routinely did. And they are drooling, positively drooling, at the prospect that they can do it again. And one of the worst lies we are hearing from the Republicans is that we can all count on our state governments to fill in the holes that Congress is making in our national health care system. Of course, they know that is impossible. Ask Governor Kasich of Ohio if his state budget can afford that. And even if your state government were willing to raise the taxes needed to provide health care protection for all of its citizens, they wouldn't. They couldn't for fear that they would become a magnet for every uninsured person with a serious illness. So with that, we're going to take a short break so I can go throw up. But when we come back, our guest for the rest of the, show, the hour will be Alan Morgan, Chief Executive Officer of the National Rural Health Association. He'll tell us how this is all going to impact rural America. Thank you for listening. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We'll see you on the other side. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. 
You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66 works with builders and contractors to build a better community. Local 66's tradesmen and women have received the specialty training needed to meet the complex challenges of any project, making them the most capable workforce in the region. From schools, highways, and pipeline projects to casinos and arenas, the operating engineers build any job, large or small. For over 100 years, Local 66 has provided superior service that our community can count on. They are your one-stop resource for qualified and productive operating engineers and heavy equipment mechanics. To learn more about the benefits of organized labor and more information about the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66, go to www.iuoe66.org. That's www.iuoe66.org. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. We've got a lot of food in this country. We've got so much food that we can't eat it all. So how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids who need it. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college, which ends up making the future better for all of us. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, and Healthcare Politics is the name of the show. And today, we are having the good fortune of being joined by Alan Morgan, Chief Executive Officer of the National Rural Health Association. And I will, so he doesn't have to do it himself, I'll brag on him a little bit. He's been with the National Rural, Rural Health Association since 2001. He has been in, involved with health policy for over 20 years, has previously worked in, uh, for Congress people and for the governor of Kansas, for example. He's an author. He's a journalist. He has a master's degree in public administration from George Mason and at one time was voted one of the top 100 most influential people in health care. I think he still is. Welcome to the show, Alan Morgan. Thank you very much, Steve. Glad to be here. And it's it's very timely that we're having you on the show because although we're taping this on the Thursday before the show, uh, we are minutes away from having the Senate finally uh, pull the cover off of this uh, health care bill that they're working on. But we 
we haven't seen it yet. We actually won't see it during the taping of the show. But let's let's start first with rural health. What what are the big issues? And let me start with the basics. How do you define rural versus urban? <laughs> well, you've started with uh, possibly the most difficult question that anyone could ask me. Um, let me answer it simply. Rural healthcare in rural America is the place where those most in need of healthcare services, from a standpoint that they have the highest health disparities, have the fewest options available. We face tremendous workforce shortages in rural America. Now, now it gets really complicated because the federal government has 16 major ways that they define rural America, and across the entire federal government, there are actually are more than 70 different definitions of rural, and it really is largely based on geography. Um, and for healthcare, the amount of practitioners in a, in a given area as well, too. Um, it, it's funny that you ask that in so much as rural people know when they're in rural America, but oftentimes urban people have a, have a problem figuring out what exactly is rural. Well, you know, I was in New York City uh, not too long ago, and I jumped in the car. I was literally in Manhattan, and I, I wanted to drive west, and within 25 minutes I was looking at cows. So it's... <laughs> The, the urban centers tend to be pretty concentrated. Most of the country is what I would call rural. Oh, absolutely. The, the majority of the land mass is rural. I like to go by stoplights. If you have 2.5 stoplights or fewer, fewer you, you, you most certainly are in rural America. So what are the big issues out there in rural America when it comes to health care? Well, everything's just great, isn't it? <laughs> oh, not at all. Well, uh, hopefully at the end, at the end of t today's conversation, we can talk about the great things that are out there in rural America. But unfortunately, we really have to start with the challenges. And um, the, 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 the greatest challenge that we're facing right now is the declining life expectancy in rural America. I don't know that a lot of people realize that from 1940 until 1990, um, life expectancies in rural and urban tracked on similar paths upward. upward. But starting in 1990, while urban life expectancy continued to climb upward, rural America has seen a steady decrease in life expectancy. And as you mentioned in the uh, reference to New York City, th there are examples where urban, urban centers and urban counties adjacent to rural counties, the, the rural residents can potentially see 20 years fewer um, within their life expectancy than their urban counterparts. It's just um, we're headed the wrong direction. Oh, my. And has anyone figured out why that is? Yeah, I think we, we've got a, a fairly good handle on it. Um, in the 1990s, we had the farm crisis, and that really sent us on the wrong path. Um, uh, the economy drives a lot of it, and certainly after the Great Recession, we, we saw um, this trend continued. Um, let me just rattle off five um, big drivers of, of the health care problems in rural. Um, number one, cancer rates are higher. Number two, unintended death, both in highway and farm incidents. You know, more than half of the nation's highway deaths actually occur on rural uh, roadways. Um, you've got lung disease. Rural kids are two times more likely to smoke than their urban counterparts. Um, suicide rates. Again, rural children are more likely, two times more likely, to commit suicide than urban kids. 
And then what's taken up a lot of the talk on a national level is this opioid crisis we're facing right now. I understand that it impacts both urban and rural, but most policymakers realize this really is a rural crisis that we're facing right now. Well, it's it's a crisis everywhere. We've we've done I think three shows uh, in part or in whole about the opioid epidemic, and the most amazing thing is that it is uh, so dramatically impacting rural America. I was uh, outside of uh, Pittsburgh not too long ago, and when I would ask people about what was the number one thing on their minds, it wasn't the economy even, it was the opioid crisis because it seemed like every family was impacted, and it sounds to me like that's even more dramatic in rural America. Well, unfortunately it is. Um, uh, former President Bill Clinton uh, referred to the crisis as a loss of hope among rural communities. I think the, the real problem from a rural context is in urban areas you do have the treatment facilities and the professionals, and in some cases, like here in Washington, D.C., they actually have dedicated professionals and teams to deal with the crisis. In rural areas, you just don't have the infrastructure, and in many cases, the uh, treatment facilities may be 30, 50, 60 miles away, and, and how how do you get that person that is dealing with that um, to the treatment facility when it's when you have that distance. So, rules just not equipped to address this challenge. Well, it's it's even getting worse. Don't we see a lot of hospitals in rural America being challenged uh, economically, closing, reducing staff, reducing services? Oh, absolutely. Um, from in the middle of the 1990s, really from 91 until 2010. Uh, you would not believe this, but no one tracked rural hospital closures, not the federal government, not us, not the American Hospital Association, because there weren't any rural hospital closures. The, the health safety net system was stable. But since 2010, we've seen 80 rural hospitals close. Each year, we've seen a, an increase in the number of rural hospitals, and we project as many as a quarter of the nation's rural hospitals could close within the next decade. We're talking as many as 700 rural hospitals potentially closing the doors. Now, how do you how do you deliver health care um, in these rural communities when you no longer have a 24/7 emergency room service? So, um, it is it is definitely a rural hospital closure crisis that we're in the middle of right now. Well, and with each hospital closure is a loss of jobs. Uh, what what how many people typically work in a rural hospital? Well, you're exactly right. Most rural hospitals um, out there range in 25 to 50 inpatient beds right now. Um, a lot of the, the services have to do with outpatient services. But um, I don't think people, generally speaking, people don't think of a hospital as being the hub of the community healthcare system. But hospitals in many cases will actually run the local EMS. They'll do with uh, mental health, behavioral health issues as well, too. Some cases, they actually run the nursing homes in those rural towns. Um, nationwide, rural hospitals are either the largest employer in these rural towns or the second largest behind the school system, of, of course. Well, so, and, that, and yeah, Ellen, that leads us to uh, the, the, the next segment, where we're going to talk about the impact of the likely changes to the health care laws, and particularly the Medicaid expansion rollback. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, that's where we'll pick up. We're going to talk about 
the tsunami that's about to hit the entire country and especially rural America. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a Diversified Media Enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. California Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon, a Democrat, has blocked the Medicare for All single-payer universal health care bill. The bill passed the California Senate, the California Nurses Association, National Nurses United, and Senator Bernie Sanders are calling on Speaker Rendon to stop blocking the health care bill. Sanders says he's extremely disappointed that California Assembly Speaker Rendon is not allowing that Medicare for All bill to come to a vote. The California Nurses Association is condemning Rendon's action, quote, to destroy the aspirations of millions of Californians for guaranteed health care without being bankrupted or forced to skip needed care, end quote. The Nurses Union says that Rendon acted in the interests of the profiteering insurance companies, abandoning people already threatened by Congress and the Trump administration's actions on health care. Deborah Berger, co-president of the California Nurses Association, says thousands of Californians have been in motion for guaranteed health care and they are not finished. The AFL-CIO is launching an ad campaign against the Republican health care bill nationally that kicks millions off coverage so the wealthy can get tax breaks. Here's an audio excerpt from an AFL-CIO video criticizing the GOP bill. The law will make health care more expensive for everyday Americans and transfer the money meant for us to the richest 1%. Boil down, it's just a tax break for CEOs and corporations. Why should hardworking Americans give up the freedom that comes from having affordable health care so the rich can get richer? Our children and aging parents are more important than the wealthiest 1%. Jobs allegedly saved by Trump have a short shelf life. 700 workers at the carrier company in Indianapolis will begin getting layoff notices in July. Trump claimed to have saved 1,100 jobs at Carrier, but United Steelworkers Local 1999 says he never saved that many. Carrier is shifting production from Indianapolis to Mexico. The United Auto Workers say that a U.S. Supreme Court decision not to take a case regarding union organizing at Macy's should persuade VW to drop its anti-union court case. The NLRB has ordered Volkswagen to negotiate with UAW Local 42 in Chattanooga, Tennessee, a small skilled trades unit of the union. VW refuses, maintaining that if a union election is held, all the workers in the plant should be included in the bargaining unit and in the election. It's essentially the same argument Macy's made when the Supreme Court decided not to take the case. UAW Secretary-Treasurer Gary Castile says the UAW is renewing its call for VW to drop its, quote, frivolous appeal and meet employees at the bargaining table in Chattanooga, end quote. Win is made possible in part by the OPEIU, the Office and Professional Employees International Union. You've been listening to Win Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 66, works with builders and contractors to build a better community. Local 66's tradesmen and women have received the specialty training needed to meet the complex challenges of any project, making them the most capable workforce in the region. From schools, highways, and pipeline projects to casinos and arenas, the operating engineers build any job, large or small. For over 100 years, Local 66 has provided superior service that our community can count on. They are your one-stop resource for qualified and productive operating engineers and heavy equipment mechanics. 
To learn more about the benefits of organized labor and more information about the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66, go to www.iuoe66.org. That's www.iuoe66.org. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. I am Steve Larchuk, and thank you very much to our national sponsor, Pair Networks. World-class web hosting and domain name registration, Pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. And with us this week, speaking to us by telephone from Washington, D.C., where they're all tapping their toes waiting for the Senate bill to finally roll out as we're recording this on Thursday, June 22nd, I think. And so Alan Morgan is the president, is CEO, excuse me, of the National Rural Health Association. And Alan, let's talk about um, what's coming our way. And let's just assume that the Senate bill is going to look a heck of a lot like the House bill, which which, according to the Congressional Budget Office, has almost an instantaneous rollback of some 14 million people from the Medicaid expansion in over 10 years. Uh, the CBO is projecting 23 million people would not have insurance who otherwise would have had it under the House, house version. And nobody even talks about the 20-some million that are still uninsured in this country. So when, according to the CBO, 10 years from now, we'll have over 50 million people without health insurance of any sort. And that means we're right back where we started back in the uh, days, the years before the Affordable Care Act. So let's talk about rural America. Uh, most people don't know this, but some 70 million Americans are on Medicaid right now. And a lot of them live in rural America. So let's talk about how rural America health will be impacted if, if these uh, rollbacks occur. Yeah, well, these rollbacks would be dramatic for rural. Uh, just We talked earlier about how do you define rural America, and rural has a higher percentage of low income and elderly. So that means from a health care standpoint, you, you've got to be a good partner when it comes to the Medicare program for seniors and for low income, elderly, and children when it comes to Medicaid. I said children. Just for some reason, people don't realize the magnitude of the Medicaid program and what it means for rural kids. Uh, uh, University of North Carolina in Georgetown released a report last week uh, showing that 45% of rural kids currently are on Medicaid. 45%. I, I, I actually contacted UNC just to double-check that their numbers were correct. I don't think people realize the impact that this has for rural communities. Well, the president said in Iowa last night that he wants a health care plan with heart. Uh, is cutting millions of kids off of Medicaid uh, your idea of heart? Oh, not at all. And, and according to the CBO, at least the House version, they were talking, what was that, now $834 billion removed out of the system? Uh, let me back up just a little bit. Um, one thing one thing that frustrates me, obviously, is when things aren't put in the rural-urban context. Rural Americans want smaller government and less taxes, but what this bill does is it has less services for them um, when it comes to health care, and the tax cuts actually are going to urban areas, high income, and corporations. So we're talking millions of dollars extracted out of rural America 
and transferred into urban America. This potentially is one of the greatest wealth transfers in the last 20 years. I, I don't think people are viewing it from that perspective. Well, it has been called a reverse Robin Hood. We're going to steal from the poor and give to the rich. And it, what, what's really frustrating but not surprising is that I keep hearing the Republicans uh, who are trying to defend this as saying that it's really for our own good, that uh, we'll all be better off if they give all this money to the wealthy and cut health care. And you were just saying in our last segment that it's projected that one-fourth, one out of four, of the hospitals that serve urban community, I'm sorry, rural, rural communities, will close over the next 10 years. And, of course, that's only worse if the people uh, who live in those communities have no access to any kind of health insurance or Medicaid. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, fortunately, when, when, when any patient shows up in an emergency room, uh, we treat them, right? As a nation, we, we, we guarantee that you're going to be stabilized and treated, and then um, we, we don't deny service. Someone has to pay for that, and the, the concept of uncompensated care, and now removing those Medicaid dollars out of these rural hospitals that right now are just struggling to keep their doors open, I, I can promise few things, but I can promise that if the legislation proceeds as it is designed and as we are hearing about it, we will see rural hospitals close as, as a direct result. Well, the, uh, the other thing is uh, I was just listening to a senator from Wisconsin this morning, and he was bragging about how Wisconsin has managed its Medicaid program under a waiver from the federal government. And they, he was just bragging that 100% of the people below the poverty line in Wisconsin are, uh, have access to Medicaid under the current plan. Well, first of all, if you are a single adult, let's say you're 27 or 28 years old, you don't have a family yet, you're just you're struggling to try and just get ahead. If you're making anything over about 13 or 14 thousand dollars a year, you are ineligible under this uh, this so-called Great Wisconsin Plan, and that that runs across the country. Uh, families even you could have a family of four, and if your your household is making more than 25 thousand you're going to be disqualified under any plan that just allows people below the poverty line to have access to Medicaid. Uh, I don't understand that at all. But let's talk about the opioid epidemic. This is if just about 100% of the people you talk to appreciate it's a crisis, but what they don't seem to understand is if you pull the plug on Medicaid expansion, you also pull the plug on a lot of rehabilitation. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, it, I, when it comes down to it at, at the end of next week, uh, whenever the Senate gets around to voting on it, I think the, that issue, the opioid issue, um, may sink the efforts in the Senate. Um, currently, we're hearing uh, seven senators as leaning towards no, three maybes. It won't be passed with that. The ones that, that are really troubled by this is, um, what it would mean in particular to the rural populations and the opioid crisis and the treatments. Um, the, in particular, the low-income individuals who are um, facing this crisis and what, without health insurance, without access, and as you mentioned, the potential for fu future closures, um, wh what does that mean on it? Um, this is a, a pretty dangerous time to be uh, cutting back on services. Well, it's also a dangerous time. You were talking about kids, but you, let's start at the beginning. 50% of the babies born in this country right now 
are born with the help of Medicaid coverage. In other words, the physicians, the hospitals, everybody involved in the, the prenatal and the birth of those children uh, are paid from Medicaid dollars. And I can tell you, having been married to an OBGYN until she passed away, that uh, she was getting paid about $500 per baby for all of the care involved in that, in that child's creation. In other words, the, from, from the moment the, the mother came in and, and my wife told, told her she was pregnant to the moment the baby was delivered, the entire fee was $500. So really what was crazy about that is just the cost of the medical malpractice insurance was more than what my wife was being compensated. So my point is, rather than cutting back on Medicaid, cutting back on the amount of money we commit to the health of our children and our, our citizens, we should be going the other direction. We need to expand it, not contract it. And if you do contract it, don't be surprised when a lot of people in rural America say, what the heck, this isn't what we voted for. Oh, absolutely. And I think if you want to see what may happen, again, you can look at um, the history of, of rural. Um, you, let's take an issue of, of the um, suicides or um, drug abuse or those other issues that, that have a behavioral health concept of it. Um, if, if you want to find a behavioral health specialist, you certainly are not going to go to Flush, Kansas. Um, that lack of provider access has a direct result on health outcomes and health spending. Well, um, and we're, it's tough. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I have it's to, sorry to interrupt, we're up against a hard break here, but that, what I want to do when we come back is I want to spin this just a little bit. You know, there is life after the Senate bill, whatever it is, and we're going to talk about the good things that are happening in rural America and why there is some reason for optimism. So when we come back, we'll try and uh, end this uh, somewhat morbid conversation on a brighter note. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. Hey, Russell Wilson here, and I know how important exercise is. It's essential. It's essential. With Play 60, United Way and the NFL are helping kids stay active and play at least 60 minutes a day. Healthy kids. Healthy kids. But what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org slash play60, because great things happen when we live united. Donate, donate. Are you guys going to do that every time? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. It's me, your heart. High blood pressure is serious, and if you think I'm just going to keep ticking away, you're wrong. I can quit whenever I want, but I like my job. Just treat me better. Maybe we can do some exercise on occasion? After all, we're in this together. Don't let your heart quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. 
We are the BCTGM, the union representing bakery workers. We have been joining forces with our members and thousands of community partners across America to end corporate exploitation of workers across the globe. Our campaign has its roots with the Mondelez Nabisco's firing of 600 workers at its Chicago bakery and replacing them with workers earning poverty wages in Mexico. College and university student activists have reached out to our global campaign, and the BCTGM is proud to welcome the more than 20 million students across America as partners in defeating this greed-based business model. Student voices have changed the world, and these future community and national leaders will add energy and heightened spirit to the BCTGM's consumer boycott of Mexican-made Nabisco products. Join the fight. Help change the world. Invite the Nabisco 600 team to your campus by visiting fightforamericanjobs.org. Follow us on Facebook at Nabisco 600 BCTGM Local 300. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Cell phones? May not work. Emergency water? Not a drop. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated. The library. On Jones House. The bus stop. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Great. It sounds like we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And we are having a great conversation this morning with Alan Morgan. Uh, we're taping this in advance of the actual airing of the program, so we don't have the benefit of the announcement of what the Senate is up to with regard to health care. But we're ta- we just talked about what we expect a little bit, and the news is not good for rural America. But with the time we have remaining, we want to try and move a little different direction. Let's let's be a little more optimistic there. And, I'd like to hear from you, uh, Mr. Morgan. What is the good news out of rural America with regard to health care? Oh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Uh, you know, we've, we've spent this time talking about the challenges, and unfortunately we focus a lot about um, the deficit, what we don't have. And one of the greatest problems is attracting young doctors and nurses and healthcare practitioners to rural areas. Um, well, it's not surprising. We spend all of our time talking about how horrible it is, and then we're dumbfounded that people don't want to go to rural and practice there, right? So I, I think it's important to also talk about the good things, um, the ability for rural clinicians to innovate. If you want to see where innovation is happening, you really need to go to a rural America. Some of the, the more creative concepts of, of delivery of health care are happening out in rural right now. And I think that's also where you're seeing a lot of this drive in where we see the future of rural going um, 10, 20 years from now as well, too. Well, that's uh, certainly good to hear. Uh, There are a lot of people who would rather live out in the country, uh, a smaller community, but you need to have jobs. Now, if we're going to close potentially a fourth of the hospitals in rural America, that's a lot of well-paying jobs that are up in smoke. But let's let's. Try and be a little more optimistic here, Steve. Uh, (laughs) What else is happening out there that we can take some heart from? Well, absolutely. I think no matter how this plays out this upcoming week, we really have to think about redesigning healthcare going ahead. I mean, what what is a a rural hospital going to look like 10 years from now? And just this week in Congress, um, some fairly important legislation was introduced on the House side. It's the Save Rural Hospitals Act. 
And this legislation would actually create a new rural hospital uh, model going ahead, one that currently, uh, currently a hospital has to have inpatient beds, emergency room. Um, it's mandated by law. Well, this new hospital type would be 24-7 emergency room service, no inpatient beds, but outpatient beds, and a really um, a, a high reliance on telehealth um, to make sure that those residents in the community have access to some of the state's top specialty care there locally. I think we need to look at new models when we go ahead, and that's going to be key to make sure that we maintain that access to health care for, for the future. Well, you know, that's uh, unexpected. Is that being sponsored by Republicans in the House of Representatives? That is the best part about it in, in my perspective. It's, it's bipartisan legislation. I know, you, you never hear that anymore, right? Um, it, is a, it is a Republican, uh, Democrat approach to trying an innovative look at rural health. The bill number is H.R. 2957. Um, introduced, they just got the bill number this morning actually on it. But I think there's a recognition that there has to be a bipartisan approach when you talk about rule going ahead. Um, one thing that we pride ourselves on our organization is being um, a, a nonpartisan, and any solutions going ahead when it comes to rural America have to take that approach. Well, that's, uh, that is encouraging. Now, we have a couple more minutes, and I'd like to invite you to direct the audience wherever you like, wherever you think they can learn more about the, the things that are impacting uh, health in rural America. Oh, fantastic. And that's easy. Um, open up your Internet browser, type in the words rural health. That's all you have to remember, rural health. Our website is always the first site that comes up. And from that site, you can uh, have data, you can have best practices. If, you're, if you are a, 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 on the county commission and you're looking at how do we improve health within our county, come to our website. We actually have models that hopefully you can apply in your own community on that. Uh, we have more than 22,000 members across the U.S. The majority of our members are people that work in the small town clinics and hospitals, but we also have um, community leaders as well, too, that see the value of, of, of learning what are the, the new models coming ahead. Well, that's great, and it's, it sounds like people should also call their representatives to Congress and their senators to say, hey, I hear there's this bill to save rural hospitals. Uh, we're on, on board with that. See what you can do to keep that moving and move it along. And if you're going to be cutting Medicaid, you better pass that at the same time. Absolutely. Thank you for that plug. <laughs> okay. Well, you're welcome. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to uh, let you go at this point. I'm going to say a few more words before our break. But, uh, Alan, thank you again. This has been Alan Morgan joining us this week from the National Rural Health Association. And before we take our final break, I just want to add some thoughts on what we just learned from Alan Morgan and talking about the National Rural Health Association's commitment to bipartisanship when it comes to rural health. It's, um, it's simply a fact that Donald Trump received a tremendous amount of support from rural communities. He was in Iowa just last night. Uh, earlier, he had his 100-day anniversary uh, celebration in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which, although it's in Pennsylvania, I can tell you Harrisburg's right in the middle of rural America. And I think 
all of the people that voted for Donald Trump need to hold him a little bit accountable to the promises he made when it came to health care. He said he would, he would only support a plan that provided more access, better access, lower premiums, lower deductibles. Medicaid would not be touched, he swore that was the case. Medicare would not be touched because he, he felt a kinship to the ordinary working people of this country. Well, if, if what we're hearing out of Washington actually happens, then Donald Trump's going to have to veto that bill. Veto it. And maybe that'll break his heart because he'd really like to put some points on the board. But you don't put points on the board by so outrageously breaking your promise to the very people that trusted you. So, on that commentary, we're going to take our final break. And when we come back on the other side, I'll have some final thoughts. This is Steve Larchuk. Healthcare politics. The International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66 works with builders and contractors to build a better community. Local 66's tradesmen and women have received the specialty training needed to meet the complex challenges of any project, making them the most capable workforce in the region. From schools, highways, and pipeline projects to casinos and arenas, the operating engineers build any job, large or small. For over 100 years, Local 66 has provided superior service that our community can count on. They are your one-stop resource for qualified and productive operating engineers and heavy equipment mechanics. To learn more about the benefits of organized labor and more information about the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66, go to www.iuoe66.org. That's www.iuoe66.org. People are always looking to invest in a good opportunity. So what if you could invest in the future of kids, like a stock? Not the kind of stock that's about making money, but a stock for social change called Better Futures. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name is Charles, and I'm your dividend. Invest in Better Futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. My name is Ruth Rusi, and this is how I live United. I read to children as part of United Way's education program. It helps them create links between language and literacy and prepares them for a better academic future. I figure I have the time and they have the need. My name is Ruth Rusi. I help kids prepare to succeed in school. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. We've got a lot of food in this country. We've got so much food that we can't eat it all. So how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? 
That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids who need it. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Sheet Metal Workers Local 12, reminding you that sheet metal is vital to technology and manufacturing in nearly every industry known to man. More information can be obtained online at smlocal12.org. That's smlocal12.org. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We have had the pleasure this week of talking with Alan Morgan, the CEO of the National Rural Health Association. And we tried to end on an upbeat note and be positive, but there's uh, really a cloud hanging over all of the America, not just rural America, but maybe especially rural America. If we have these massive cuts to Medicaid and uh, a new age tax and things like that, which is what the Republicans seem to have in mind for us, we are in a world of hurt. So... uh, Sorry to be so pessimistic, but this is uh, not a great week to be an optimist. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration, Pair.com, that's P-A-I-R.com. Please visit us at healthcare-politics.com. You can learn about us, what we're all about, what we're trying to do with the show, and you can listen to all of our past shows. This is show number 20. Uh, we started just in February, and we're up to 17 stations from Massachusetts to California. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout. Our booker is Dr. Ann McGeary. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. Until next week, remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. Amen to that. True then, true now. This has been a production of Dare to be Reasonable Media, LLC. Please join us every week for Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Until then, stay healthy, my friends. Single payer is what it's called. Bottom line is Medicare for all. Single payer is what it's called. You can improve Medicare for all.